The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 11th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation." But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, being high priest that year. He prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Text for this morning, that reading from John chapter 11, that Pastor Sam has just read for us, but as Pastor Elliot began his sermon last week, so I will begin also this week. I encourage you this afternoon, pull your Bible out and read this whole chapter, because all you heard this morning were excerpts from the story 
that we're going to try and fill in a little bit as we go through this sermon. So you know that our sermon series for Lent has been called The Way of the Cross, and each week as we have studied and meditated on the various texts, this question has been developing in my mind. Can you and I believe that in every circumstance of life, Jesus is seeking to develop and to deepen our faith in him so that we can start living right now with an unprecedented humble boldness and live forever in unimaginable glory. Can you and I believe that in every circumstance of life, Jesus is seeking to develop and deepen our faith so that we can live right now with unprecedented humble boldness and live forever in unimaginable glory? This is the way of the cross, that Jesus' driving mission in your life and in mine is continually to enhance, to expand, to explode this new life of faith, a life of freedom and joy and sacrifice and renewal. That's what Jesus was trying to do in Nicodemus' life, in the life of the woman at the well, in the life of the man who had been born blind, and today in the life of Mary and Martha and all of the people who had come out to comfort them, even in the lives of the Pharisees, and most especially this morning in you and in me. So watch and learn the way of the cross. Now, we didn't read the first 16 verses of this story, so let me summarize it quickly. Last week, we heard that Jesus had healed a man born blind in Jerusalem, and it caused such a stir that the religious leaders wanted to arrest him. And so he had left the area. Now, Bethany, where Mary and Martha and Lazarus live, is just two miles from Jerusalem, Then Lazarus got sick. Mary and Martha sent for Jesus. Jesus intentionally delayed with the result that Lazarus died. Now here is the first and perhaps one of the hardest lessons on the way of the cross. God's timing is different than ours. He does not operate on your schedule. And what he does and what he allows in your life may not actually make any sense to you. And nowhere is this more true than in the death of our loved ones. We have a ministry here at St. Luke's called Grief Share. And the, the opening conversation with those who attend is to reassure them that there is no single right or wrong way to experience grief that each of us uniquely created unrepeatable miracles of God will handle grief differently. Some may in fact process it quickly and others may wrestle through it for months or even years Yet undeniably, the death of a loved one changes us. Now, from what we can tell, Martha would appear 
to be the oldest of these siblings. She's the responsible one. She's the one who takes charge and hold things together that the parents are never mentioned suggest that they too are deceased. And based on a few other details, longtime readers of the Bible have speculated that this was actually a very prominent, perhaps even well-connected, well-to-do family. Now Martha's statement that you see here is her search for some logical, rational explanation of the way God works. And it reveals a pattern of thinking that some of us can identify with. You see, sometimes we want to believe that if we could only understand how and why of what God is up to, people especially in the painful circumstances of our life, if we could just have it explained to us, then, then surely we could find our peace and our comfort and our confidence. Why did my sister die of cancer at age 34? Look, I, I know that we have these wonderful Bible verses that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. But you know what? Those are not actually very helpful when you are in the deepest, darkest moments of grief. I mean, maybe months or years later that can help. But right now... What I'm sure that I need is for God to show me, to explain it to me, how allowing that to happen is in any way good for me. And even then, I'm pretty sure I disagree with him. <laughs> and of course, we all know that grieving is not limited to death, is it? Why is my marriage on the rocks? Why did I get laid off? Why can't I seem to overcome my addiction to alcohol or to work or to spending and accumulating more and more stuff? You know what dawned on me as I was writing this part of the message? Our desire to know and to understand the how and the why of what God is up to at any given moment in our lives is actually part and parcel of the desperate deceit of the devil that we encountered way back in the first week of this sermon series in the temptation of Jesus, turn these stones into bread. You cannot trust God. He doesn't know what's best for you, but if you, if you only take control of your own life, well, then you'll be like God, and surely you will be able to do a better job than he does. You see, Jesus is trying to draw Martha and you and me past 
simple intellectual knowledge, even beyond profound theological understanding of his identity as the cross, people into a deeper comprehension that he is, in fact, the one and only source of life that we are all longing for and looking for, typically in all of the wrong places. One commentator writes this, Jesus' concern is to divert Martha's focus from an abstract belief in what takes place on the last day to a personalized belief in him who alone can provide it. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, only Jesus. We are constantly being called beyond this abstract faith in Jesus who will someday provide pie in the sky, by and by, to a faith that is deep and intimate and personal relationship with the very Son of God. Now, we did not read this next part of the story. Mary, in her grief, perhaps didn't hear that Jesus had arrived, so Martha went out and told her, and Martha and Mary then went to Jesus immediately. Another lesson, perhaps, to remember, go to Jesus immediately. Now, Mary utters the exact same words as her sister. If you had been here, and then she stops, and I picture her breaking down into tears. And hers is not so much a search for understanding as it is a cry of despair in the search of relief from a broken heart. And my friends, we sincerely and truthfully and honestly believe that if God would just prevent all bad things from happening in our lives, then we can have peace and comfort and confidence to live happily ever after. You see, I think that we sort of blithely believe that in a fallen and broken world, of course, it's through the trials and through the difficulties that we actually learn and grow the most, but I would just as soon someone else learn and grow that way than me. No, what I want is for my strength, my courage, my character, my endurance, my hope to come in an Amazon box delivered at the front door. And again, it dawned on me, people, this is simply part and parcel of this desperate deceit of the devil that God must prove his love to us by preventing any harm to befall us. To Jesus, the devil had said, throw yourself down from the top of the temple. Make God prove that he can be trusted. But Jesus instead seeks to draw Mary past the emotional earthquake that death has caused in her life into a deeper, more profoundly intense assurance of the heart that Jesus is the one and only source of life itself, even in the midst of tears and sorrow that life lived in this world inevitably brings. 
Now, this is the second time in these verses where we read that Jesus was deeply moved. And it is a bit of a softening of the language from the original Greek, although the English Standard Version has a footnote that reads, uh, deeply moved or indignant. But the word itself actually carries with it the image of being rip-snorting angry. Angry. At what? Well, certainly not at himself for having shown up late. And well, shucks, Lazarus had died before he got there. And not just because he was simply having empathy and he hates the havoc that sin and its consequence death wreaks on his most precious creation, although that's certainly not excluded. No, my friends, what Jesus is most angry about is the thick-headed, complete darkness of human unbelief. Back in verse 16, Thomas had spoken for all of the disciples expressing their fear for Jesus returning to the area of Jerusalem. And he said, well, let's go with him that we may die with him. We know him as doubting Thomas, but as one commentator observes, on this occasion, Thomas reflects not doubt, but raw devotion and courage, even though it was courage that was shot through with misunderstanding and incomprehension. Thomas and the other closest followers of Jesus did not and could not fathom the way of the cross. Verse 21, Martha, if you had been here, we've already unpacked that. Verse 32, Mary, if you had been here, likewise. Verse 36, which we also didn't read, was where the Jews who had come from Jerusalem to comfort Mary and Martha in their grief whispered to each other, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? What causes Jesus to be deeply moved, to, to be indignant, to be rip-snorting angry, is unbelief. Now, sometimes you simply cannot surpass the poetry of the King James Version of the Bible. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. For he hath been dead four days. Do you realize that there is one person and one person only in this story for whom there are absolutely no barriers in believing that Jesus is the one and the only source of life? And that's Lazarus, the dead man. Look, here's my paraphrase of Jesus' prayer. Father, will you please rattle the cages of these unbelieving bystanders until the locks break and we are born again to the living hope that in Jesus, in knowing him more and more, in following him closer and closer, we find life. 
I saw a tailgating bumper sticker this week that read, Do you follow Jesus this closely? <laughs> Father, would you please set us free this morning from our Marthaism, the need to know and to explain everything to us? Could you set us free from our Maryism, our emotional pits of despair? Father, cause us to be born again of water and the Spirit. Give us the living water that wells up in us unto eternal life. Open our eyes to see you. Now, what will it take For Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Thomas and the rest of the disciples and you and me to believe. The irony of the religious leaders and the political leaders seeking to maintain their own control over life will take Jesus to the cross where he will die for all of the unbelief in all of the world, in all of its various manifestations in your life and in mine. So what difference will it make? Again, this commentary. There were clearly many other things that we might have liked to have learned. Like what Lazarus experienced in the grave, the nature and the time of his subsequent death, what he did or did not say to his neighbors and more, but John reports none of it. And so we're left to speculate what Lazarus and Mary and Martha's life were like from that day on. But John begs us to set all of that aside because here's the point that I've been driving at. Can you believe a little more now than when you came in this morning that Jesus is seeking to develop and deepen your faith in him so that you can live right now with unprecedented humble boldness and live forever in unimaginable glory? Now what about those struggles that you were having? Your addiction to alcohol or to work or to consuming and accumulating more and more stuff. Your marriage, your family, the state of the economy, world politics, that cancer diagnosis, the use of the gifts, your resources to build and to grow the kingdom of God, which is the world put right. I heard this. In the novel that I'm listening to, of which the title and the author are irrelevant, it's not that great a book. But this quote caught my ear. The reference is to Special Operations Navy SEAL training. Listen. The intent of spec op schooling was to make you confident but never arrogant. Bold, but never reckless. Prudent, but never shy of reasoned risk. Sagacious, which I had to go look up. 
which means a keen mental discernment and good judgment rather than shrewd, determined rather than willful, and in every intellectual, physical, and emotional way, strong enough to be able to do whatever was necessary. You see, what I imagine is St. Luke's becoming a whole congregation of special ops trained Jesus followers. People, we are headed into Holy Week. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday, followed rapidly by Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and then Easter. Lazarus, come out. Your sins are forgiven. Eternal life is yours. What are we waiting for? You are free from sin and from the power of death. So, I don't know. Let's get to living like it. Amen.